0: If you boil emotional sobriety down to one thing, that's what it looks like, is being able to balance the I and the we, or the we
1: and the I, the togetherness and the separateness. Welcome to Emotional Sobriety. Tom Rutledge will not be joining us, but luckily, uh, Alan and I are joined by Joe C from Rebellion Dogs, and we're going to continue our conversation about emotional sobriety, stewardship, and service. How's everybody doing today? Tom said
0: it's kind of fitting that that it's kind of ba- the universe balances itself out sometimes that I wasn't able to make it last week I was flying out to uh, Orlando for Disney World and and today Tom's unable to make it but but you know I did listen to the show last week Joe and I I thought that there were a lot of great points that you were making and I want to really make certain today that we keep this very much connected to emotional sobriety because yeah. It, it's so there are so many opportunities as you were alluding to when we are of service, what we can learn about ourselves and what we can learn about some of the issues related to emotional sobriety. So, you know, that's so that's what really stood out to me is when you guys were sharing these things. You know, one of the things that I wanted to bring in and to talk about today was how. Anytime we are joining a group and becoming a part of something, we are going to be recapitulating some of the issues from our family of origin. And so one of the things that that there isn't a lot of discussion about in meetings is what some of the issues are once we start joining that are going to start showing up for us. Like one of them I heard last week Patrick and and Joe kind of challenged you on it, was your feeling of not being of value and not doing enough. And see, I'll bet you if you examine that and look at it, those are feelings that you had your whole life in terms of what's my worth, what's my value? What kind of a contribution do I make, right? These feelings which I identify with of of inadequacy or insecurity. And so, one of the things I think that that I want our listeners to really pay attention to is as you engage in service, yes, you're going to have wonderful feelings. There's going to be a reward, but there's also going to be an activation of some of these other issues in your life. And what I think happens, Joe, is people start to feel that. And instead of leaning into it and, and working with it, they leave. Yeah, They they avoid it and they run away from it. Not for me. That's what they say consciously. But if they dig into what does it mean that it's not for you? What is making it hard for you to engage in being a part of? You know, how do you join a group? How do you overcome some of that anxiety? Am I going to be loved? Am I going to be accepted here? Am I going to belong here? How do I fit in here? Am I going to be able to make a contribution to it? See, these are powerful emotional issues that show up in this context.
1: Part of my confusion is because um, I'm not always sure what service exactly exactly looks like. And I think that's part of what we were touching on with the previous chapter is, um, you know, is that uh, maybe I, I was giving back when I didn't think I was, or maybe I wasn't when I did think that I was giving back. Um,
0: Yeah. What I would say to you is that's something you've struggled with your whole life, a confusion about what's going on here and what am I doing? You see, we cannot just separate that from our subjective experience and treat that objectively. See, when we raise questions like that, they're, intimately tied into our own personal experience. How have you struggled with some of those things, Joe? What has what that all meant for you as you've been involved? And what have you become aware of as you take that journey in your life?
2: Well, that is a, a lot of what I hope we could talk about, because I I don't think I get involved in service because I have such great emotional sobriety. I think service has um, informed my emotional sobriety. Like, where is my emotional sobriety going to be challenged? It's probably the same place where my emotional sobriety is going to grow. And when we learn about things like accepting what is living life on life's terms, discovering novel solutions, that's all, you know, you don't just get that by reading the book, right? You need to sort of get out there in the world and, and interact with people who you are, you know, um, in disagreement with in terms of, you know, the dotting the I's and crossing the T's and how do you get through that? And if you just say, I, I, I just want the shits and giggles of going to meetings yeah. right well you're only going to get the shits and giggles version of emotional sobriety or 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 I feel I will so so yeah. I I don't do all this difficult stuff or time consuming stuff because I you know noble and I want to give back I do it because that's where I get the growth and uh, what comes back is a greater meaning in life. Well, that's so
0: well said, Joe. So let's just take, let's just focus in on a, a very specific thing. So let's say you're in one of these, these general service meetings, right? Mm-hmm. And you're talking, and some issues are coming up, and some people are saying some things that you disagree with. And that you think are a violation of the traditions or are somehow not as relevant as another issue might be. So here's the issue. What do you do at that moment? See this is the this is the thing how do you cope with that at that particular point in time now what do people typically do what they've done most of their life right in terms of their their habitual way of coping with things so some people will sit there and have all these feelings and not say a thing yeah they will leave the meeting and then and then they will gossip about what happened in there and how it shouldn't have been done, how it should have been done, and what you should have what should have taken place in there, and all of that stuff. Um, but they they don't know how to bring those feelings and ideas and the differences into the discussion. Or the opposite would be the guy that then blows up and just starts to put everybody down and says what's wrong with you guys you don't know what you're doing and mm-hmm. deals with his difference by making everybody else wrong
2: i remember um a meeting i was in and someone i admired in aa was listening to something i could tell just by what i knew about her she was not in agreement with what was being expressed and she said well you may be right. And I thought that is brilliant. Like you're conceding nothing. You may be right, but, but you're, um, just sort of bringing the volume down, sort of releasing some tension, right? You're making room for this person in their view, right? Uh, Without selling out, right? Without not, being true to yourself and and i thought that attitude you know it uh, that has really served me well
0: well what you're saying joe is really a core principle of emotional sobriety how to act for yourself how to act with integrity right without being selfish Mm -hmm. self-centered and then how to also act for others without losing yourself or being selfless. If you boil emotional sobriety down to one thing, that's what it looks like, is being able to balance the I and the we, or the we and the I, the togetherness and the separateness. Mm -hmm. And now that's a challenge. And see, what makes it such a challenge is because in order to know how to do that, you have to be raised with people that know how to do that and in a culture that knows how to do that and guess what
2: that
0: doesn't happen often in fact it's a rare experience that people really walk away or grow up you know walk away from their childhood with those kinds of capacities or that that skill set developed
2: and i don't think there's enough um, like one on one in in helping people through that and teaching that like we've been described in our sort of recovery community as a three-legged stool recovery unity service right and on the recovery side we sit down we read a book together we work things out together and for the rest of it you're just sort of pointed At the kitchen or the zoom screen and saying it's your duty go do it go figure it out for yourself as opposed to bringing someone instead of pushing someone and and then we're complaining that there's 25 people at this meeting every week and only three people that lift a finger to make it make it happen what you know it's time for the spirit of rotation and and people get frustrated but maybe there's more we could do to help uh, sort of foster that
1: the me versus we uh in mm-hmm. my conception of things is still very bifurcated and i have this arithmetic that i'm always doing of like you know um <laughs> uh the, the person i'm going to call or the thing that i'm going to the selfish thing i'm going to do or the more kind of collective or service minded thing i'm going to do and uh kind of keeping that loose ledger going at all times and i have a sense that that is a kind of a lower consciousness (laughs) version of what we're talking about. And I, uh, but I, I'm getting a tingle of recognition when you guys talk about um, ways to integrate those things. And uh, yeah, that's what I, that's what I feel you're speaking to.
0: Yeah. So, so let me say that because you're right. See, it's very easy to say that they are bifurcated, right? That you're either right. Focusing on yourself or you're focusing on others. Hmm. When we say focusing on others, it's not, it doesn't mean paying attention to what where they are. That's part of it, but it's more honoring that those two forces exist within us. I want to hold on to myself, and at the same time, I want to cooperate with you. What a dilemma. (laughs) How do I do that? You know, what an order. I can't go through with it, right? We've heard that line before, right? What in order? I can't go through with it because how do I honor myself and still be connected to you and honor you? So let's take the example of being in a meeting and somebody's talking about something that you just think is off. And how do you jump in and share that? You know, a, a, a brilliant psychologist, and I'm blocking his name right now, I think it's Dr. Alexander who works with a lot of families and tries to help families, it's called functional family therapy. He's brilliant. I mean, I saw this one interview that he did, Joe, with, it started out, I had no idea how this guy was going to get through this session, because the mother and father were so polarized from each other. And what was going on with the kids, I thought there's no way that, I mean, most therapists would have thrown in the towel and said, I I surrender. I can't do anything to help these folks. I just, you know, and then probably blame the patient, right? Which is right, exactly what my profession does a lot. And I, I've done that as well, less today in my life. But what he did that was remarkable, and in, in, in it's a, a wonderful, wonderful strategy, he looked for the place that they were on the same page. Mm -hmm. and where they were on the same page they both were concerned about their child had very different ideas about what that meant and how to Activate that, right? And how to realize that in terms of what was going on and the struggles that they were facing. But if you're sitting in a meeting and you come in with a different idea, you can start with that off and say, look, you know, I, it's really great. I hear you're really concerned with how things are going, which I am too. I just look at it a little differently than you do. And let's see what we can do to put these two ideas together. See, that's a way we can come in with our differences and not polarize. See, that's the issue, and that's what I think makes a lot of people hesitate, Joe, is they don't know how to deal with their differences without polarizing and alienating the person or alienating themselves
2: from the person. Right. And so they don't say anything when something needs to be said, right? The expression they make everything something old. say something.
0: That's exactly it, man. That's exactly it. And so, you know, I just want our listeners to pay attention to is that uh, one of the greatest challenges of getting involved, even at the uh, level of, I remember when I first came in the program and, and my sponsor, Tom, took me on some 12-step meetings. Back then, there was a lot more 12-step meetings taking place because there weren't as many treatment programs. Right. You know, now yeah. treatment yeah. programs are taking people to meetings. Back then, they somebody would call central office. We'd go out and pick somebody up, and they'd some most of the time they were still quite wet. We'd bring a bottle of booze with us, get them sober enough to bring them to a meeting. I mean, give them a few drinks so they stop shaking enough to get yeah. to, a meeting. and then we'd go to a meeting and come home and they'd throw up and we'd clean up the puke and talk to them about recovery. Right? Yeah. Well, I remember going with my sponsor <laughs> Tom, and I'll never forget what he said. He says, "I says, well, you know, you know, when when do you want me to share?" He says, "I don't." And I was offended. I said, what do you mean you don't want me to share? He says, because you've got nothing to say. (laughs) I go, well, maybe I have a few. No, he says, you've got no recovery under your belt. You've got about two weeks here and you want to go in and, and, and share things. You don't have much. But what you can do is you can help me clean up the puke when the guy throws up, or you can, you know, do this, or you can, you know, stand on the other side of him and and balance him as we're walking into the meeting together. But where my psychology was, is, is being who I was, wasn't good enough. Right. I always thought I had to make a bigger contribution to be okay.
2: Right. Yeah. If I could, if I
1: could offer an observation, um, I hope that one of the things that you uh, pass to others, Alan, is uh, and others that are just starting uh, their recovery, is what can be built out of just cleaning up a guy's puke. Because oh. if you look, ba- if you look back from where you are now to where you began, it's you know, and that's the thing that while you're cleaning the puke, you don't always recognize that no. these little things. Yeah.
0: See, it it really was my first experience with what humility meant humility wasn't humiliation. It was accepting myself with where I was at that particular moment and being able to contribute at the level that I was capable of and being able to appreciate that and value that and not devalue it because it wasn't the same contribution that Tom was making. You see, that's the important thing that's taking place in that situation is that I'm making a contribution, but it's going to be very different than what a guy's got five years in recovery that's going to make.
2: And I think we get lost in those comparatives, don't we? In those comparatives. And I've been in that very situation where um, there was two of us visiting someone who'd fallen off the wagon and was their plan was to drink themselves to death. We traveled to europe to go find this person we did and when we got to his like luxury apartment in total squalor right i I knew what my role was there because these two people had been to treatment together they understood each other they could finish each other's sentence i was on like this guy was incontinent there was broken bottles everywhere i was on cleanup Right, uh, maybe throwing a little one-liner here or there, and he was on, you know, you know, he was, he was at point to one care, point, and you were backing him up. That's right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's just, you know, there's all these things have to be done, and they all have equal value in the end. And see, that's
0: the point that I thought last week when you were talking about Patrick, when you were raising the question, well, what value do I have? See. It's being able to appreciate who you are and the contribution you're making with where you are today. Not being somewhere else, right? Not being able to have all the answers, not being able to, or whatever is in your head that that you think you're supposed to be doing. But you see, I think that this is one of the things like Joe was mentioning is that we don't talk about these things enough. We don't talk about, you know, how the interface with what's going on inside of me and the experience I'm having in the program. You know, the other thing that I I was aware of so much, too, is that the disappointment that comes up. How do we deal with disappointment? See, that becomes a big deal, man. You know, maybe at one point, Patrick will invite my sponsor, Tom, in because he had the unique perspective of being one of the trustees on the board of narcotics anonymous for I think four different terms and you know what he would share with me is he said people don't realize all of the issues that are being dealt with as you go further further up in the organization that are critical like I'll throw out one that they struggled with immensely in terms of handling so when buprenorphine Came on the scene, which people know as Sobat Zone. There was a big question that was being asked uh, for the, you know, na- the National uh, NAS, the National Association of, of Narcotics Anonymous, right, for them to weigh in on, in terms of can these people share in a meeting or not? Do we consider them clean? That they're still yeah. taking even though it's not just a pure opiate it's an agonist and an antagonist means that it's acts it does get people high to some degree but it's also an antagonist where it it puts a ceiling on it right so you don't get high in the same way that you did let's say if you were doing heroin right or so or an oxycontin or something like that so the question was what how do we deal with this in meetings now Pretty big, important question, right? Because a newcomer comes to the meeting. I mean, how many times have I heard people say, go to an AA meeting, and because they introduce themselves as an addict, they're told they can't share. But they're never asked, hey, do you have a desire to stop drinking? Because if you do, that's all you need to do to be able to share at this meeting. See, that's never asked. They're just shut down. And so these people were being shut down. And then they're saying, well, I guess Narcotics Anonymous is not the place for me. And what they were finding was that a lot of these people that if they, they were on you know, Suboxone for a period of time and came off, they were finding that NA was, was what they needed to sustain their recovery. Maybe the buprenorphine helped them start it, but they needed something that was more than that to sustain it, the community that we talk about that we all mm-hmm. cherish and love and, and, and value. So how do you handle that? Well, you know what they did? And it, it was right with the traditions. They said, that decision is made at the group level. It's not made here in the organization. Your yeah. meeting has to make a group consciousness, have a group consciousness about that issue. And you decide at that level. Some groups decided to let people share if they were maintaining themselves on the buprenorphine and, and following doctor's orders in terms of taking a prescription. And some groups
2: decided that you couldn't share and that's the beauty of the program. I think I said this last week, the steps are remarkable, but the traditions are genius. I loved you, that. <laughs> you know, they're based on more experience, right? Like learning this thing about, you know, my recovery depends on the unity of my yeah. community. If my community doesn't stay together, how am I to carry on, right, you know?
1: I can appreciate that flexibility while also um, that's a tricky one, you know, punting to to the group, you know, because my, I mean, these are just my opinions, right? Is that I uh, include as many as possible, right? But I mean, not everybody's going to share those opinions.
0: Right. And so and that might be the wrong group for the person, but hopefully that they will be told that, listen, there are groups that would accept you sharing and consider you to be clean if you're doing that. Please find one of those. That's a better fit for you. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I heard some of the discussion last week, too, about sometimes about the rigidity, right? You were talking about that, Joe, and stuff. You know, I, I had a thought that there is even a place for rigidity in the program. And I'll show you and I'll, I'll give you an example. Clancy, mm-hmm. who started the Pacific Group out in California, it is probably it's so rigid. You go to a meeting, you guys wear a suit, jacket, shirt
2: and tie, Joe. You hear me? I, I've been. I've been once. Uh, oh, you've but been once. When what? I was out for the uh, there you, so you secular know, conference in Santa Monica,
0: Gals wear a dress. They don't go in jeans. They are going there in a dress. And then you, I mean, there are all kinds of, and you need to be sponsored by somebody in the Pacific group if you're going to be a member of the group and you have to work the steps. And I mean, they have all kinds of these requirements. Not for everybody. Some people would find that rigidity a turnoff and would find that there's too much conformity being expected of them and get lost in that whole scene. There are some people that thrive from that, that have put their lives back together and are living incredible lives with that kind of a structure. So it's once again, one size. See, this is the wonderful thing for me about AA Sometimes it gets criticized around this issue, but I think that we truly have a program where one size doesn't fit all. There's secular meetings. There's meetings that are much more focused on religion, right? Mm -hmm. And really focused on that. Spinoff has been Celebrate Recovery. But even within AA, there's meetings that are much more God-focused and oriented than other meetings. Yeah. Then there's secular yeah. meetings where it's not the focus at all. There's some meetings that are really focused on working the steps. Some meetings are step study meetings or looking at the traditions. Other meetings are more social meetings where people get together, and it's kind of like a there's Saturday night out on the town, which people... Find a value. that's That doesn't do a lot for me at this point in time, but I see people that have had, So the wonderful thing that's happened in this organization, it's got this incredible diversity, unbelievable diversity.
2: I often will tell people that if you're going to try a, like someone will say, I'm thinking of going to a meeting. I'll say bad idea they go what aren't you in AA? yeah i'm in AA. but if you go to a meeting you're going to get a false positive or a false negative experience go to a dozen meetings because it's like going to a restaurant i i I don't like restaurant food but where did you go right
0: that's right exactly good point joe it's very good point
1: can i ask uh alan just real quick um the emotion, the emotional sobriety conception of what it means to be of service—is uh, there a way that you would distinguish that from maybe the more traditional, what might be called traditional uh, AA or twelve-step uh, version of being of service?
0: Well, I just—you heard me. What I when I chimed in earlier today is to to use this idea that that it's to act for yourself without being selfish. That I'm of service because it's of value to me. Joe says it very clearly. Yeah. I do this stuff. Not, I'm not just giving it a program, I'm giving it myself when I do that. I am adding to my recovery capital, if we want to use that phrase yeah. that's yeah. popular today. That's a big part. I am also acting for others, but I'm not losing myself in it. I'm doing that because I want to be of value. So, see, that was the other thing I was going to talk about and emotional sobriety and. And, and this has been a great thing that I think we've been doing on Thursday nights in this emotional sobriety meeting, Joe. We've been really tying the 12 steps into the development of an authentic, humility-based self-esteem and how that then interfaces and relates to emotional sobriety. And one of the things that we've talked about is the importance of having purpose in your life in order to have self-esteem. Those people that have high self-esteem have a purpose. They get up, they live their life with a purpose. They're focused on something. One of the wonderful gifts that AA gives us is a way of being value to our fellows and of being
2: value to ourselves at the same time. And just getting from the ingrown eyeballs to looking out at the problem of the group, the problem of the other individual, it elevates the quality of life in seconds.
1: Well, yeah, not seeing the helping of oneself versus the helping of others as separate ideas. Yeah, that's right, man. That's why I would say in you, Patrick, I don't think of
0: those in any way as, as um, digital. I think of them more of as an analog, and they're all existing along the same continuum, Right. Because it's important for me to be of value, but it's also important for me not to lose myself. I see people, you lose themselves in service at times. And what happens is because look, they've shown up in my office, they'll come in, they'll come in with their family, and they'll say, you know, you spend more time giving to those people than you give to our family. Yeah. Well, that's there's something out of balance there. Mm -hmm. And I understand it's important for recovery, but. My God, also being of value to our family is being of service. If we think about it, let's not think of service as just what we do to the in a meeting, but it's what we do within our family. It's what we do within our community. It's how we give back to our communities. See, I always say that one of the wonderful things about what happens in terms of our experience in recovery is that it's, it's like an initiation into life. And if you look at any male initiation and even female initiation process, it goes through a certain number of steps, right? And and one of the last steps is, is integrity, is being reunited, is unity, coming back into your community and now coming back into your community, a transformed individual, which means that now you are going to be able to show up and be a true citizen in your community, which means that you participate, you contribute, you add to, not subtract from what's going on. My whole life before meetings was a big minus sign. I sucked you dry. I sucked anything around me dry. I was like a vacuum cleaner, right? I was just taking and taking and taking. It was all about me, 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 me. And now it's still all about me, but it's also about you. I haven't lost that, but now I'm able to have more of a balance in my personality sometimes, some days better than others. You know, some days I still get lost in my selfishness. Some days I still get lost in my selflessness, but I'm better. I find that balance a lot better today than I ever have in my life.
2: Last week, Tom made a great point about it's not about always being in that perfect balance to sometimes be more selfish to sometimes lose yourself in what you're doing and, and then sort of ultimately live in the middle but but not being painted into a, this small space of trying to be in perfect balance in everything i do i i thought that was a a point that, you know the obvious is always remarkable <laughs>
1: Well, the man, the fundamental problem, one of the fundamentals of ad, of the addiction problem, right, is a lack of balance. So that's why I have tremendous sympathy um, for myself and others. Maybe I do have a little bit, a little bit of, of sympathy for myself when it comes to this is that I was completely unbalanced in a different way when I was using and um, to bring reel that back in, but then also kind of like cultivate just something completely different, a different way of running your life. Um, it's a pickle.
2: Like, one of the things I had to learn in getting active, whether it's being on a committee to do a conference or just being active in my home group or, you know, being involved with general service, is if you want to be criticized in AA, for instance, do something, Mm
1: -hmm. anything,
2: and you're going to draw criticism, right? So how am I going to deal with that? How am I going to not lose myself in that? Right.
0: How am I not going to make other people's limited opinions of me important?
2: Yeah. How will I not take it not let them
0: define me? See, it's back to every everything that we're talking about. It's an opportunity for you to become aware of of what's going on and when you're disturbed to unpack it. See, that's, that's the another core issue or core principle of emotional sobriety. Our disturbance doesn't mean something's wrong. It means something is needed, <laughs> that we need to do something to take care of, of, of what's going on and to understand it in a different way. So, God, there's so many things. But, you know, here's here's what I'd like to propose to us to do, Joe, mm-hmm. is from now on, every time you join us, let's take a tradition. And let's start talk about the tradition. Let's read a bit of it from the 12 and 12. And let's start talking about it in terms of emotional sobriety.
2: I think it's great to take them one at a time like that, because you can take all the aspects of emotional sobriety. And I I find their application in every single one of the traditions, for sure.
0: Yeah. Well, and that's the final thing I was going to say before we wrap up today. You know, we're on step seven on this Thursday night meeting, you know, which is humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings. And last week we talked about, God, step six was really about an insight step, being aware of how our, in the vernacular of the 12 and 12, how our shortcomings, right, our character defects, the what benefit that they've served us how they developed out of that it was the best adaptation we could make at the time. So therefore, they're functional and they're beneficial. They serve us to some degree, not as well as maybe a, a, a modification, right? An update yeah. of the operating system can, be, can serve us, yeah. but they have yeah. some value And step six is such an important step in terms of sitting down and becoming aware that these things just didn't happen to us. We we installed these you know these behaviors because it was the best way that, that we could function and ensure our existence and, and being able to be as whole as possible at the time. So now we become aware of those. So we gain a lot of insight. Step six is a very, very insight-oriented step, in my opinion. But mm-hmm. we come to seven now. And this is one of the incredible, I think, ideas that so many psychotherapists have had that are really masters. They said insight without action is useless. And I I think it was Eric Fromm (laughs) or Maslow that said, with insight comes responsibility. Mm -hmm. And step seven is putting this stuff into action. And now really trying some things on differently to see if I can develop some better ways of coping in this world, right? Ways that are much more balanced, ways that are going to keep, you know, allow me to cooperate and keep my integrity, that kind of stuff. So I just love what we're talking about here is really taking some of the things we're learning about ourselves and putting it into action and now making a contribution at whatever level we can.
1: Until next time, guys. Amen to
0: that. Tinge your life. Tinge your myth. Cultivate your narrative with whomever you're with. Then with glass and hand and children on one knee. Bring some stories. Bring your stories back to me. It ain't a crime.
2: Never be ashamed to be yourself
0: Rest assured that whatever you're doing Will entertain me like nobody else So here's to us, my old friends Until it's time to drink the wine and break the bread again With glass in hand and children on me, knee Bring some stories Bring your story back to me